0: welcome to the show me institute podcast i'm zach lawhorn from show me opportunity and today i'm joined by david stokes elias Chappellis, and susan pentagrass from the show me institute susan missouri's attorney general eric schmidt has made some more news this week we've been talking about masks an awful lot uh, on this podcast what's going on now
1: sure why not talk about masks some more um as i've said on the podcast before it must be confusing to be a parent because you think you know what's happening and then they have to wear a mask and then the Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt has fired filed a lawsuit against the 50 or so public school districts that have mask mandates right now and um trying to get those thrown out so that districts cannot have mask mandates he actually got called out by the president's press secretary yesterday as one of the we're one of the states that's trying to do this um I don't think that to me, the most uh, successful way of going about this to get parents, what they want is to, is through the court system. And this is only really representing one group of parents, the parents who don't want their kids to have to wear a mask, to wear a mask. There is another very large group of parents that really wants everyone to wear a mask and they don't want their kids to go to school without, uh, with people who are not wearing masks. So there's actually two distinct camps here, but the, Attorney General has filed a lawsuit on behalf of the one group, which is to say that you cannot force children to wear masks. And um, to me, the easier way to go about this would be to just let parents who are in districts with mask mandates and don't want their kids to have to wear a mask, go to another district. Uh, Each of the places where there is a mask mandate has a district close by that without one and parents could either switch to another district or switch to a private school I've heard anecdotally of parents have just been throwing their hands up and pulling their kids out to homeschool them or to look for another option. And um, to a couple of states in particular uh, have responded to this, Florida and Arizona. We've talked about this a little bit, but they put in emergency programs. Uh, Arizona's is funded with stimulus money. And... Um, Parents who are in a situation they don't like can get a scholarship up to $6,700 and go somewhere else. Florida is a similar, they have a HOPE scholarship program that's designed for kids who are bullied, but in this case, they're considering kids who have to wear a mask to be bullied, and parents can use that scholarship program to go somewhere else. Theoretically, Missouri could do this. As of Saturday, we will have a scholarship program that goes into effect, the Empowerment Scholarship Program. It uh, won't have money behind it until taxpayers, uh, both individuals and businesses contribute to it. But once there is money behind it, parents could use these scholarships to go to a school that they like better than the one they're assigned to, basically, and if you like it better because it doesn't have a mask mandate, then that's a reason, but we could open that program up beginning Monday, we could seed. We could uh, fund it we could provide seed money through the federal stimulus program of which missouri's re- received almost three billion dollars and we could uh, help parents out to get scholarship money i don't know if you saw this act but the uh patient dr margie van Dieben was grilled supposedly by the uh, budget committee i think in the house yesterday could have been senate in, in jefferson city talking about the stimulus money and how she's going to spend it or how desi plans to spend it and the American Rescue Plan, where we get $2 billion, most of that gets distributed. Uh, we were able to automatically receive two-thirds, but we can't get the remaining third until um, we apply and the, and the application is accepted. But the legislature is starting to dig in on how that money is going to be spent. It seems to me like most of it is being spent on uh, teacher recruitment and retention, really I don't know. Most at least 50 million, and then they're uh, out of the 200 million, and they're going to be spending more on that, according to testimony given yesterday. And the scholarship program can only uh, be funded up to 25 million the first year. I feel like um, that would be a great use of that stimulus money, and I hope the legislature brings it up. I think it could be done administratively rather than through the court system, and uh, that would give immediate relief to parents. I mean. My experience has been is that the cork system doesn't work very fast. And so other states,
0: how- other states have used funds for that, right? We've talked about the gears right. funding, and yeah. So it uh, with the show me state, it seems like that the roadmap is out there. David, um, what's the case for taking these mask decisions up a level away from school boards?
2: Well, it's a it's a it's a tough one because I think certainly some people out there like the idea of. Of lo- a lot of people like the idea of local control of your of your school board. That's why we elect school boards in in Missouri and in many other places to sort of make that local choice for your school and whether you should have a mask mandate or not. Uh, so it's a t- it's a tough call. I certainly agree with everything Susan said. That the real solution is is a school school choice. I'm not certain that the real solution is you know. Suing every every district, even in some districts where perhaps mass mandates are very popular among the vast majority of of the residents and parents in that school district, so so I so I don't know I I, I don't know what we should be doing because I certainly also agree we've seen mass mandates can certainly go too far and I think there are harms to children just sitting behind sitting. A mask year year all year long after a whole year last year if they were even in school in the first place wearing masks the whole time so I don't think what I really want to see is the I want to see the vaccine adapted and approved for for younger for younger kids like my youngest and then hopefully we can move on beyond that but I'd like the the real solution of more parental choice is a perfectly applicable one here
0: Susan last school year we yeah. were talking about how school districts were caught off guard and the transition to virtual was kind of messy, but you got to cut us some slack because, you know, it's a pandemic. Everyone's learning on the fly. Does it feel like that we're in a similar situation now? We're almost two years into this thing, 18 months into this thing. Uh, what's your read on how prepared school, school district, school boards have been to get kids back to school for this school year? Are we we still trying to figure this out on the fly, it seems like?
1: yeah we're behind the eight ball again um several large districts uh nationally have gone back to hybrid at least one i'm sorry to virtual full-time virtual at least one in illinois has gone back to full-time virtual they were told to because they had too many kids out uh either quarantining or sick and i could that's absolutely going to happen in missouri but i think the the what I perceive as a lack of preparedness this year is that the Delta variant treats children differently than the previous version of COVID did. And I think before we got into this place, we're like, okay, a lot of YMCA's and daycare centers have figured this out. We can keep kids apart. We can, you know, kids aren't getting it. They're generally safe. They should go back and be in person. That's best for their uh, academic and mental well-being and emotional well-being. And just when we got behind that idea that everyone needs to be in person, the Delta variant came along, and it seems to be impacting kids differently. And kids are getting it and getting sick. So now, um, school districts seem to be scrambling again, and they might offer hybrid options or virtual. But there, I think still it's not uh, possible to offer hybrid in Missouri. The 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 um, suspension of the rule there ended in July, like July 31st. So I don't sure i don't know if a school district in missouri can now legally offer hybrid but i'm sure many will go back to virtual or they will let their parents pick virtual but picture that situation right you're planning on a full-time in-person opening you've got a whole you know you've got a third grade staff and everyone's coming in and you you set up your rooms and all of a sudden the delta variant's happening you've got people out quarantining and people out who knew somebody and now they're quarantining and they decide to let the Uh, third graders pick virtual or not well which teacher then has to be the virtual teacher and all all of a sudden you have to go back to this whole thing of setting everything up online and zooming that you would kind of put on the shelf so I think it's going to be a very difficult to start the school year I think it's really unfortunate because a lot of kids are now really behind a lot of kids their last contact with formal education was like March of 2020 so 18 months ago so I think it's going to be very challenging i think this school year is when it should have been like major catch-up time it's going to be more like scrambling to deliver education what i want to say to david's point though is i completely understand and if i had a small child i can imagine i would not want them to wear a mask all day for sure however anecdotally what i'm hearing is that parents care about it a lot more than kids and when you talk to kids they're like how do you, you know do you, are you upset you have to wear a mask all day generally speaking the kids are like no I don't really care. I want to go back to school. So I, I, I'm i not sure, you know, I, oh, I see both oh. sides of it. I could also see being a parent who wants my kids around everyone in masks. Uh, it's I'm just lucky that my kids are grown.
2: Let me absolutely say that masks are a small price to pay to having to have your children in school full time. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. We are so like, I've got three children. Uh, they were all in school all year. Last year, obviously they were out in March, April, and May of 2020, but they were all in school year-round in in the last school year, and we are so lucky to have had that. And they're all in school again this year, obviously, and hopefully will be all year. And they're all wearing masks. All their they're all go to Catholic schools, so they've made that that choice. But absolutely, masks are a tiny price to pay compared to the the benefits of having your children in person in school.
0: Elias, any thoughts on the uh, mask mandate? Lawsuit? Hey, I uh, I do not envy the uh,
3: people having to make these decisions. It's very um, politically charged. I know that, um, I know at least some of your smaller towns, there's a, it's a more of a minority of people that are worried about what's going on. But I think that, I think it's best to leave it to those local decisions. I just feel bad for the sides that, um, Probably aren't going to get their voice heard on this.
0: Speaking of local decisions, David, there is a building on Lindell in the central West End that a developer wants to uh, redevelop, and there's uh, been some interesting twists and turns. So, what's going on?
2: Well, it's the it's the fairly well known Optimus building right there at Lindell and Taylor. I think it's at the corner of Taylor there in the West End. That's a very that's the dead heart of St. Louis's wonderful West End neighborhood, not far from our offices here at Show Me Institute, and a, a building there that I used to live next to. I used to have an apartment in the building next to the Optimist Club, so I know the building well. And a developer wants to come in. At t- First of all, the Optimist International wants to sell their building. Like service clubs all around the country and world, they don't have anywhere near the attendance and membership that they used to that they used to have. The Optimist Club is seeing the same problems as the Rotary Clubs and Elks Clubs and Knights of Columbus and many others. So they want a smaller building because they can't afford the upkeep on the large building that they had when they had a staff of 60 a few decades past. So they're trying to sell it. And one, one developer has come in and wants to... Take the building, tear it down, and put up a very nice apartment building, market-rate apartments, and they're not asking for any tax subsidies uh, for this new development, which is so important. But the city's preservation board has voted the other day to reject the demolition permit for the Optimus Building, saying it's historically significant and needs to be preserved. And I'm not an architect, but and I appreciate historic buildings absolutely, but. I, I don't see this building is reaching the level of historic significance that it needs to be preserved, and to have to have a company wanting to come in and add housing options to the city of St. Louis or at our central quarter, add an apartment building, provide more housing units, not ask for any tax subsidies, and allow more people to live in that great area, and then to have it shot down by a by a, the preservation board is I, I think in. As I followed it more and more and learned more about it, I get probably more upset about it. I try to see both sides of the issue, but I think this is a very poor choice by the preservation board. And I hope some of the elected officials in the city can pressure pressure them to reverse that decision.
0: And just to kind of take your your temperature on this broadly,
2: David Stokes, big fan of preservation, right? I absolutely. I love. I was a history major in college. I love history. I enjoy. I enjoy great architecture, and I will. I will admit that absolutely there are historically important buildings that need to be preserved, and I'm not opposed to the existence of a preservation board. I just think, like many government boards, commissions or the like, there you know you get mission creep when you you save the buildings you want to save, and then you start well, let's think about some buildings we might need to to save that might not actually be as historically significant. So I'm not opposed to preservation boards at all. Uh, they have a role but this particular decision I think is a bad one unlike the somewhat tougher decision out in Creve Core where a quick trip wanted to build a new gas station and convenience store on Olive Boulevard in in Creve Core and a suburb of St. Louis County and the uh, the neighbors were very much opposed to it and we I definitely support local democracy and neighbor people getting involved in their communities so the neighbors Organized in opposition to this development. They were, had concerns about traffic and, and many many of the standard issues people have when they're just going to be changed to their community and change to their neighborhood. And they were able to convince the city of Creve Coeur to reject the, the new Quick Trip right there. So the developers and the Quick Trip sued because uh, they thought that that decision by Creve Coeur was, was wrong, and the judge agreed with them. So this is a really tricky issue. I think the judge is, is probably right and from what I can tell here from, in my thoughts, they made the right decision, because you can't have, you know, there are other gas stations in the area. It's already commercially zoned property. There wasn't a rezoning here. So as much as I totally respect the citizens for fighting for, in their community, and you never, ever want to be cavalier about judges overturning uh, the process that we have through in our democracy at any level, You know, you have to be careful. You can't have a city approving uh, a subway shop on a block and then approving a Jimmy John's next to it and then a few months later rejecting the planet sub that wants to go in next to the other two. I mean, you have have to have some consistency in these choices. And the lawsuit was uh, focused more on the fact that the city was being inconsistent. They would approved plenty of other gas stations in that area. And you have to... You do have to be, you can't have government by whim. You have to have consistency in these zoning and planning decisions, and I think the judge made the right call here, as much as I, there's certainly strong arguments on both sides.
3: Well, I guess the thing I would add about this is I look, get a little hesitant with uh, judges ruling on some of these things. Um, I'm certainly sympathetic to people's uh, you know, property rights in this whole scenario and the role that cities play, but... You do see across the state a, um, you know, the concerns of traffic being used to um, kind of trample on people's property rights. I mean, when, just for example, when Boonville had uh, the prospect of a casino, you know, because they needed to route traffic to this casino, they, you know, tore down a lot of people's houses. And so judges, you know, judges did come in there and say the city can do it. And so I, I'm not, while I'm not immediately saying, I, like, I, I think Creve Corps should have a, should be able to get the quick trip, but I, I do get a little bit worried about what, um, always going to the courts for something like this.
2: Well, I'll, I'll re- repeat again, I can't, what, we should never be cavalier or, or not unconcerned about judges over, stepping in to overturn things like that it's it's always concerning but sometimes sometimes it's right and necessary to to do that and i think in this case the 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 judge got it right and it made the right decision as as tough as that may be
1: and let's face it creep Corps is a very upscale community they didn't want a quick trip that's what it feels like to me and i feel like communities with less political power and community engagement end up with some of the things that communities don't want right so in this case it did sort of um did sort of reduce their capacity to uh, do to be a NIMBY right to not the not in my backyard reaction so I don't know I feel like if that continues then all of like you, when I drive east and I drive through very com- poor communities in West Virginia there's always like big chemical plants because they probably had no capacity to say no you know what I mean mm-hmm. it's just like sort of does even the playing field on that in that regard Right. I suspect that traffic was not the exact reason that everybody didn't want a quick trip in Creed Court. They probably just didn't want a quick trip. Right.
0: David, has have we always been this quick to uh, like a last set appeal to the courts? It feels like we're maybe becoming on the local level uh, very, very. Quick to litigation, we're coming very litigious. Uh, in your memory, in your career in municipal policy, has it always been? Uh, has it always been like this?
2: Well, I, I think it's always been like this for as long as, as I've been active in in policy and government and politics. But it certainly we are more litigious than than I, I think we are certainly more litigious than we would have been if we'd gone back several decades to where. And I think it's unfortunate that every, just about every decision. Made by a legislature, every even ones that go fully through the proper process and are done everything right or inevitably somebody opposed to it is going to sue to try and try and stop it. No matter how minor the issue, and that's at the federal level, at the state level, and often at the local level as well. And I do think that's very, very, very unfortunate. And it's it's just it's it's easier to hire a lawyer and try to stop something than it is to. Launch political campaign efforts to change your city council or change the leadership of your state legislature. I mean, that's really hard, hard stuff to do to change to change that law and to take do all the political organizing and campaigning and policy work that that takes. So it's it's easier just to it might not be cheap, but it's easier to just hire a lawyer and see if you can win in court. And I, we do too way too much of it in a in Missouri now. Medicaid Medicaid expansion being mm-hmm. example. One, two, three, four,
0: and five. And that's where we're going for our final topic. Elias, uh, what's the update on the Medicaid situation?
2: Well,
3: it's a mess. Uh, So a few weeks ago, the Missouri Supreme Court said the state needed to expand Medicaid and then sent the issue back to the local uh, Cole County court. And when the issue got to the court, the state said, hey, it's going to, like, we'll expand Medicaid, but it's going to take us a little bit to get this uh, rolled out. And the court said, uh, too bad. You need to do it right now. And so uh, the news this week is that uh, the state Medicaid agency has been saying that, you know, you can go enroll for uh, or apply for enrollment on the state's Medicaid website, but they're not going to be processing any of the applications until October 1st. And so there have been quite a few articles this week um, up in arms about how bad that's going to be in, you know, the. Saying the state's in contempt of court for not, uh, you know, enrolling people in this Medicaid program and expansion, but really what it highlights is something that I've been talking about for a while, which is that Missouri needed to fix its Medicaid program before it expanded in the first place. The state's Medicaid uh, software, the system running the program, is so old and out of date. It's it's incredibly difficult to change something as big as uh, medicaid expansion would be just a few years ago there was a whole issue of thousands of people coming off the medicaid rolls and it was essentially an update that happened to the state's enrollment system uh, the state saying it's going to take about 60 days just to get the system up to date which is running COBOL. Uh, it's going to take 60 days to get the system so that when people that are eligible for medicaid when they go receive health care services uh, the state will pay for them. That that's just how the system works, and it takes them a while to do it. And I mean, at another level, the state has not even applied to the federal government for Medicaid expansion yet. They have a lot of paperwork they have to file, and until all of this stuff gets ironed out, if someone that is eligible for Medicaid expansion goes and receives services in Missouri, the state's not receiving federal money for this. You know, the whole idea of Medicaid expansion was that the federal government will be throwing in all this money, this 90-10 match that people talk about. You know, the state wasn't going to be on the hook for anything. Well, if Missouri tries to cover health co- coverage for thousands of people without any promise of the federal government throwing anything in, I mean, this is going to break the budget further than it was already uh, going to be broken in the first place. And so it's a real mess. Um, hopefully, before long, we'll, um, you know the bureaucratic process will work itself out. But as of now, I don't think anyone's getting Medicaid expansion services. So do you think,
1: Elias, I have a question. Do you think people are who were waiting for the court decision to get, say, surgery or to get some expensive medical services out are are going to now go get those services and assume that the state's going to pay?
3: Well, the state has said that if you apply on the website, uh, they may go cover those services eventually. And so there's essentially a backlog being filled right now with people putting in their information. The state can look at it and say, you know, um, preliminarily, like, yes, you do qualify for expansion. It's not happening right now. But Missouri's Medicaid program has what's called retroactive eligibility, which can go back up to 90 days. So if uh, the state gets everything ironed out on October 1st and someone applied on the state's website uh, today and goes and gets uh, surgery assuming they don't pay for it themselves uh, there's certainly going to be a push for the state to go back through and figure out all those unpaid medical claims for people that qualify for expansion uh, to go through and send the hospital some checks
2: so Elias how does this relate to the, the issue that at least one major hospital chain and I'll probably get the terminology wrong announced recently that they're no longer going to participate in the the user fee type system that funds a lot of Medicaid in in Missouri. How does that play into this?
3: Oh, it's, it's all just a very confusing system right now. So the basically Missouri's hospitals um, participate in what's called a provider tax. So they pay a little bit of their um, gross receipts to the state and they use that to draw down more federal money. And the uh, hospital in Kansas city, the Truman uh, medical center is one of the, is the hospital in the state, as far as I know, that um, sees the most Medicaid patients. And they essentially said, hey, it's not even worth it for us to go into this pooling agreement anymore because they'll get more money from the federal government when they file for um, claims of people that just aren't paying for their medical costs. There's a system in place called uh, uncompensated care um, payments where the federal government comes in and says, hey, you provided X amount of services that no one paid you for here's a check and so what you're seeing is a lot of these hospitals that have to take Medicaid patients they can't opt out of um, providing these services but what they're what they're seeing is that it's a pretty tough business trying to make money in the hospital game if you're um, if you're seeing so many Medicaid people because the rates are, pretty low that the state of Missouri is paying and really it's just better for no one to pay and the federal government to come and make it back up on the back end so it's a big issue for the provider tax system which Missouri is the most reliant in the country it's um it's an issue that I've talked about a little bit in the past but when it comes to Medicaid expansion this is an issue where presumably there would be fewer people going to that hospital that would uh, be uncovered that would be uninsured and so the state would be paying their Medicaid rates for them. And I think you are going to start seeing other hospitals reconsidering uh, their participation in these different um, financing gambits.
0: All right. Next week, David, what are you keeping tabs on?
2: There's a big – there's a long-time TIFF development, tax increment financing development, in the floodplain of the Little Blue River in Lee's Summit. And it's been sort of percolating for a while. It's a big youth sports complex, retail, mega megaplex type type development. But, of course, they want to use substantial tax subsidies, uh, be it both TIF and special taxing districts. Like, I think they have a neighborhood improvement district on this one, which is essentially the same as a TDD or a community improvement district SID that we talk about a little more often. So... They're going to try to move this forward pretty pretty quickly in Lee's Summit, and that's something I want to be carefully following this week and, and try to get some stuff out on it, because I think it's a it's a very, very bad idea. TIFs generally for this type of retail are a, a poor use of tax dollars, and then you throw in the special taxing districts on top of it and add it in that it's a part of the areas in a floodplain, and you've just got a, a a very, very poor use of public funds.
0: Susan.
1: Well, I've heard that the 2020, 2021 Missouri assessment results may be out within a month. So I don't wanna repeat myself the next few weeks, but I'm waiting to see those.
3: And Elias. There is a low income housing uh, project being considered down by the Lake of the Ozarks and the uh, city council down there is considering some rezoning to kind of get the wheels moving for such a project they have to get a lot of stuff together before they would be applying for tax credits, but I'm keeping up to see if they go down that path because what you see with a lot of these tax incentive deals is that you get a town and a developer to invest a lot and make a lot of changes before they even apply for the state subsidies, and so by the time they get there, it's like, hey, you gotta gotta pay for this because we've already devoted so much time to it, so I'm going to uh, keep up with that and see if... The area of Lake of the Ozarks really wants this, and if they are going to take all those steps before uh, it goes too far,
2: Elias needs to make multiple work trips to investigate this in the Lake <laughs> of the Ozarks over the over the coming the coming weeks. The uh, the boat rental budget for Show Me Institute is going to dramatically expand. I understand.
0: <laughs> on September eighth, we have a legislative update with Senator Bob Onder and Representative Tracy McCreary. It's a free event, seven thirty in the morning. Go on to uh, showmeinstitute.org, RSVP. Let us know you're coming. September 8th. All right. Thank you for listening and more at showmeinstitute.org. Elias, David, and Susan, thank you very much.